Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. It is a joy and a blessing to have you here today. Thank you. I am I am really honored to be here this morning. And just a side note before we get started, uh, I did not know that Morgan was going to be up here and receiving this check on behalf of, of the ministry that she does in Rwanda, but... You know, I've had the privilege of praying for Morgan since she was in preschool. Um, that's a long time. And you know, it's amazing because maybe the most exciting thing that happened in this church today are the little people that were sitting right here. Because we don't know what those little people are going to grow up and do. And that God has plans for us that we look at, sometimes we look at kids, and if you would have known me when I was um, in middle school, you would have said like, there's a lost one, and there's probably not a lot of hope for her. Um, And yet, I'm so thankful that God looked at me, and there was people praying for me, and I'm so honored to have prayed for Kendall and and Morgan and for Garrett and watching what they're doing in their lives. What a privilege, right? And so even as we gather here this morning to celebrate what God is doing and this invitation to the best year ever, I truly think God is going to blow our minds with the things that he has in store for our children, for our neighbors, for us. Um, And I had the privilege of watching uh, Mark's sermon from last week and um, hearing about this, you know, the best year ever. And he was talking about New Year's resolutions and how they're kind of weird, right? Because it's like one day to the next and all of a sudden, like everything's going to be different because it's a new year on the calendar. Well, in my life, personally, um, my birthday is New Year's Eve. So I start each year not only with a new calendar year, but it's, you know, I'm another year older. So actually, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but I do pray and try to kind of have some intentionality for each year. You know, I don't want to look the same this year that I did 10 years ago. I want to lean in to what God has for me each year. And so in 2017, um, as the year was, was winding to a close, I had been praying about, God, what is it that you have for me in 2018? What is it that I need to lean into to have the year that you desire for me, to be who you want me to be. And this is a really kind of a funny thing, and I was praying about it and praying about it, and you know, God doesn't always follow our calendar schedule, and New Year's Eve came and went, and I didn't have it yet. And um, so I continued to pray about it, and last Sunday, this is a true fact, last Sunday, as I sat in church, and um, in our church we have a a time where we pray and reflect on on what God's doing in our hearts and our lives before we leave. So we don't just kind of consume all this goodness and head out the door and go to lunch and forget, right? And as I'm sitting there praying, the Lord just pressed on to me this idea for 2018. And I'm going to read this to you. So I wrote this in my notes on my iPhone because during church, sorry. So if you pull out your iPhone, go for it. Um, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to forget what God had for me. I wanted to remember it. I wanted to lean into it. And so literally one week ago, this is what I popped in my phone. My 2018 word for the year is invite. I'm going to, and here it is, invite people into God's glory. Invite people into God's purposes for their lives. Invite people into reconciliation. Invite people into forgiveness. Invite people into his work. Invite people into hope. Invite people into community. Invite people into using their spheres of influence for the gospel. Invite people out of brokenness. Invite people out of cycles of abuse. Invite people out of shame. 
invite people out of the victim identity, invite people into the joy of the Lord, invite people into authenticity with the Lord and others. I will invite my friends, my family, my community, my coworkers, and whoever God brings into my sphere. In, and I'm going to invite God to work beyond my limited imagination. I will prayerfully seek to say yes to God's invitations to me this year. The next day, Ted Thulin called me and invited me to come to your church this morning and speak on community. I think God might be up to something. Uh, and truly, I thought, lightning might strike me if I say no. You know, it is so interesting, this idea of community, this concept of not going at it alone. Um, you know, as you think about the best year ever, my hope every year of my life is that this year will be better than last year was. Because I hope that as I dig into God's word, as I pray, as I commune with him, as I do life with other people, I hope that every year I'm looking a little more like God intended me to look. And frankly, there's a long way to go. But each year, I want it to be the best year that God has yet. And I think that that's true for all of us. Because it's not our circumstances that make something the best year. It's God's presence in our very lives that makes it the best year that we've ever had. So before we kind of jump into this idea of community, what does it mean for us to be the people of God? I want to start by just saying, I think that there is a giant obstacle that often hinders us from really grabbing this. We can be in church, we can go to church our whole lives and never grab what it means to be the people of God, to be community. And one of the reasons is that I think we fundamentally have a misunderstanding of the gospel. So last week, Mark referred to the passage in Matthew 7, right, where Jesus says, you know, narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the road that leads to destruction. And I don't know about for them, but I know as somebody that works in ministry, that passage keeps me awake at night because I think, what road am I walking on? What road am I leading people on? I don't want to be on the big, broad road that leads to destruction. And so for just a minute, before we dig in, I want us to think for a minute, think about the typical testimony that you hear of someone saying, here's my testimony, right? My testimony looks something like this. I realized that my life was broken, that I was not doing things the right way, that my life wasn't pleasing to God. I turned and gave my heart to Jesus. I was saved from my sins, and now I am saved walking with the Lord. What a lovely testimony about me. Because in that testimony, I'm the one who realized the problem. I'm the one that found the solution. I'm the one that implemented the solution. And now I'm the one who has it worked out. And so here's the natural conclusion of that testimony. Now it's my job to live my best life. So as a Christian, if I am going to do this, I need to find the best teaching, the best music. I need to consume everything that will help me be excellent. This is a great testimony about me. And so, you know, I've gone to some churches, and you know, there's some music, there's some teaching, but frankly, I can find much better on the internet. And so I go home and I listen to the best pastors, and I listen to the very best teachers, and I consume the very best music, and I am isolated, lonely, stagnant, 
not growing, and generally dissatisfied with my life. Let's look for a second, and if you have your Bibles, open them up. If you have your smartphone, open up your Bible app, and look for a minute, and if you don't, just listen to these words that Paul has for the church in Ephesus. Um, You know, one of the incredible things is that um, God is so good to give us this book. So good. We get to read the history of how God has worked in, in people's lives. We get to read and see his faithfulness. We get to have the book of Psalms, which is the great permission to be human and wrestle with our emotions and with God. And we have these great letters to the churches. And listen to these words in Ephesians 2. Well, as for you, and by the way, remember, he's talking to the church. So these are words for us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live and in which you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among those at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. For not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about this. This is absolutely a totally different story. This story is a God story. See, it starts with God. God created us. We are his workmanship. Right? And what part do we play in it? Well, as for you, you were dead in your sins. So I did my death part pretty well. I messed up. I separated from God. I didn't choose his ways. I was dead. But a lot of us in our lives kind of have this idea. Like, let's say that the gap from dead to alive in Christ is the distance from this microphone to this podium. Well, the truth is that many of us really think this is how the deal went. I, if this is fully being with God, you know, I was like 20% bad, but I was like 80% good. I mostly did the right thing. I'm not like her. I'm not like him. They're screw-ups. I was mostly good. And so I walked 80% of the way to God, and I said, hey, Jesus, I need 20. You got 20? And God gave me 20, and now I'm here in Christ. And so, therefore, my gratitude to God is about 20%. You can have 20, God, because I did the 80. And so what I need from God is about 20, and my gratitude's about 20, and I'm mostly just doing life on my own. And as that translates into our lives, it kind of looks like I don't really need that much from God, and the prayers that I pray are basically prayers that I can fulfill. So I pray really for God's, like, little sprinkle blessing on my life because I'm basically okay. But that's not at all what, what we're told in Ephesians. We're told that we were dead. We got nothing. We don't even have enough awareness in our sinful state to know of our need for God. 
And God is the one that reaches out to us in that state. And he's the one that makes us aware of our need. And he's the one that through Jesus Christ came from heaven, came to earth, came to us to invite us in to a life that we couldn't even imagine. See, the testimony of God is that he created us. He had big dreams for our life. He found us in our brokenness. Jesus came all the way. The healing, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace are from him. And all we have to do, and this is the good news, all we have to do is respond in faith to say, yes, I want to be part of that. And then he gets all the glory and all the invitation. So as we think about this gospel, we want to start by saying, God is the one that's done everything for us. And when we say yes to his invitation to be reconciled, to be forgiven, to be in life in him, we want to do things his way. And so in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, um, and so we're going to look at three passages this morning from some of these letters to the churches to think, what is it that God wants for us? How do we do this? In Hebrews 10, 23, Paul tells us this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day coming. Let us not give up meeting together. You know, truly, it's very hard, it's very hard for us to do the things that God has called us to do when we try to do it alone. Because the truth is that we can't spur one another on if we're not doing life together. We can't encourage each other if we're not doing life together. When we're doing life alone, it's not going to be very good. That's the truth. So what should Christian community think look like? What should Christian community be like? What is the invitation that God has for us, right? Well, the truth is that as we look around inside the church, you know, we would love to go to a church and find a church of healthy, functional, vibrant, hopeful people. But unfortunately, you're here, and I'm here, and we missed out on that invitation, Right? The truth is that church is nothing more than a group of sinful people who have said, God has done everything for me. Let's come and do life together. And this invitation is actually an amazing invitation. But it's not a clean invitation. <laughs> and it's not always a straight line invitation. It's kind of messy, right? It's kind of messy. And so I want us to think for just a minute about what would it look like for the people of God to be who God called us to be. And so we're going to turn over to the book of Romans. And we're going to just sit here for a minute. So I want to start actually in Romans 12, and I'm going to read verse 5, and then we'll jump down to verse 9. Romans 12, 5, listen to this. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Right? We belong to each other. We are not individuals walking in individual faith with God that are disconnected. 
we belong to one another. And now jump down to verse 9, Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now remember, this is God's instructions for the church, to the church. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful what, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with each other. What? How many churches have you been to that look like that? And I'm here. I'm new fresh this morning. Maybe you guys are awesome at this. Um, love, devotion, honor, zeal, spiritual fervor, serving, joyful, hope-filled, patient, faithful in prayer, sharing with one another, practicing hospitality, blessing each other, blessing and not cursing, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, living in harmony with one another, not being proud but associating with people of different position, not being conceited, not repaying evil for evil, careful to do what is right, living at peace with everybody. You know, Sadly, often, I think when the world looks at the church, this is not what it sees. We have so much strife inside the body of Christ. And not just inside of our churches, but even between churches. And you know, it's interesting, over the last few years, I've had the great privilege of teaching through many of the epistles, right? The letters to the churches. And I have been absolutely blown away by how much of the letters to the churches are consumed with how we treat each other. And I think that often I kind of thought the big deal of the church is that we're supposed to reach the people outside the church. And by the way, that's kind of true. But how do we do it? We actually do it by doing it right inside the church and being the people that God calls us to be. You know, it's very interesting. Um, this weekend, I'm actually in town uh, because of the pilgrimage retreat. Um, some of you might have heard of that. Some of you might not have. The moderator for that retreat is sitting right down here, Shannon Briggs. And, um, and uh, my husband and I actually attended the earlier version of this retreat 20, 21 years ago um, here in Austin. And an interesting thing came out of that for us. Um, by the way, we were already working in ministry at the time. We'd already been to seminary. So that piece wasn't new information. But here's what was cool that came out of that for our family, for Lars and I. We got an invitation to be intentional about community. And the invitation looked like after that conference, this is back, you know, 21 years ago, the invitation was, hey, would you be willing to be intentional about meeting with a group of people weekly, talking about what God is doing in your lives, sharing who are you able to share God's hope with this week? What are you studying in the Bible? What are you thankful for this week? How can we pray for one another? 
And it opened up a new invitation to us personally of being incredibly intentional about community. Now, here's the true confession. First of all, you're not anyone that knows me, and I'm standing here in front of you today is not surprised. I'm just a very sinful person. And um, I don't always do the right thing. And I confess that when that invitation first came, my kind of first response was like, every week? You want me to, every week I have to get together with these people uh, to do this? And I had no idea of what the actual invitation was that God was giving me. Because I just kind of thought, well, it's something that you do and then you kind of check it off on the good Christian list. But you know what? That's not what happened, actually. Because as we showed up week after week, and Lars was in a men's group and I was in a women's group at that time, we showed up and we began to not only share these little things about each other, we began to know each other. And then we begin to show up not just at that weekly meeting, but kind of in each other's lives. And as we showed up in each other's lives, we did meals together. We did life together. And by the way, as we're going through life, I don't know about any of you sitting out here, my life has not quite turned out exactly the way that I thought it was going to. God's thrown a few curveballs. Sin has brought different types of brokenness and difficulties. And doing life together with these people consistently, intentionally, biblically, Christ-focused, over time, changed our lives. We got to walk with people through marriage troubles, financial troubles, the death of loved ones. We got to rejoice when God answered prayers. We got to pray for things and then give thanks when those prayers were answered. We got to cry with one another. We got to laugh with one another. And it actually opened up Lars and I's eyes that the Christian life is so much more. And we, are, we were settling for something too small. And so along the way, we realized it's not just that group, but we get to be incredibly intentional in our lives with God to do life with other people. And there are people actually in this room that we've been doing life with for decades. And when we left Austin, which, by the way, do you know what a great place you live? That's just a little side note. And I live in a great place. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. But you live in an amazing city. This is an amazing place. And when God called us really kicking and screaming out of Austin and, and brought us to Dallas, you know what? That little community that we had been a part of, that program, that community group, it wasn't there. And Lars and I just kind of looked at each other, but see, we had learned something along the way. And so we looked at each other and we said, hey, let's invite a few people to do life together. Let's invite a few people to say, hey, would you be willing to commit weekly and let's get together and let's share a meal and let's share what God's doing in our lives and let's pray with each other. And we established community in a new place, Dallas, Texas. It was awesome. God provided amazing people for us in that place. And then we moved overseas to a place where there were very few followers of Jesus. And so, you know, we didn't really have our pick of the cream of the crop. We just went, okay, there's four of you. Let's go. Let's do life together. And we invited them, hey, once a week, Thursday nights, you want to come? Let's do a meal together once a week. Let's get in God's word together. Let's discuss what's happening. Let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. And that pattern has continued through our life. Because, see, the Christian life is not a program. The Christian life is so much more. The Christian life is doing life with Jesus and doing life with one another. That's the invitation. But we miss it. 
So, you know, we just had the holidays. There was lots of presents. In my family, between Thanksgiving and the second week of January, we have three birthdays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, New Year's, and then our anniversary. And then, frankly, I'm kind of presented out by the end of that little stretch. But there's lots of presents given and received in that time. If any of you have little children, did you ever watch kids when they're really little? You know, you give them a present, and they kind of open it, but they love the box, right? And they're playing with the box, or they're playing with the bow, and, um, and you're trying to, like, force them to like the gift. You know, you're like, wait, look, here's this cool toy. And they just continue to play with the wrapping or the box. Or even when our youngest son, we have four kids, when our youngest son was really little, we couldn't even get him to open the box. You know, he just kind of liked the pretty paper and, and the bows, and he would walk around carrying the box. And like, I got a present. Look, I got a present. And my older kids, you know, who by then had grown into their greed and desire for things, were like, open it, open it. You know, and he was just actually genuinely content with the box. Um, And as parents, we haven't learned yet. We should just wrap up a box and give it to them with no present inside. It would be a lot cheaper when they're little. They don't remember, by the way, you know, those gifts. But I think as the church, we're like that little kid sometimes. See, God has given us the gift of community. The gift of being the church. The gift of what it means to be the people of God. But we are playing with the wrapping. And the wrapping is the building. The wrapping is the place that we go on Sunday. And we get consumed about all these details about what it means to do church or be church. And we miss the present inside. See, because this church, the vine, is not defined by these walls. And you're blessed, and actually my home church in Colorado Springs is blessed as well because um, one of our campuses, we have two, two sites. We meet in a school too. So you know that these walls are not your church, right? These walls don't define you. You are the vine. You are the people that God has called together. The riches that his, of his invitation is sitting in this room. It's not this room. So don't be confused and miss the gift that God is inviting you in to do life with these people. But here's the deal. It takes incredible intentionality. Incredible intentionality. The broad road, as Mark said last week, the broad road you're going to be walking on. But you're probably not accidentally going to find that narrow path you got to look for it. you got to make sure you stay on it. To have the best year ever, you have to do life with God and with his people. And so the question is, who are my people, God? Who are my people, right? And sometimes we're sitting back waiting for an invitation. God, you bring it to me. But I actually am getting more and more convinced. We have to look out and invite people. Hey, do you want to be people? <laughs> you want to be people with me? You want to be people with my family? You know, it's an incredible thing to have people, to have your people, the people that are for you, the people that are with you, the people that are hoping and dreaming things for you that you can't sometimes dream for yourself. When you're worn out and frustrated with your kids, the people that love your kids in that moment, that's what God is calling us to. It's an incredible invitation. But, you know, I do not want you to get any any ideas that it's easy or simple or clean or 
anything other than probably complicated, doing life with God's people, right? In uh, the book of Galatians, in chapter 6, he says this, Paul says this to the church, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all the people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. In the place where we live now, at the time when we moved, we moved, um, we're involved in international work. And uh, three and a half years ago, we moved to be closer to the headquarters of that. And the truth was that at the time that we moved, we were in a tough place as a family. We had been through some really tough situations. We were in the middle of some very tough situations. And we didn't have a lot to give. And we showed up at our new church just kind of feeling worn out. And um, a little group of three couples invited us, hey, do you guys want to do life with us? And we just kind of didn't have much to offer, but we just said, yes, we do. And as we began to meet with those people and do life with those people, the Lord began to pour back in to us. Having people pray over us, getting God's word with us. He was encouraging us, stretching us. And along the way, we started looking around at who God had put into our circle And we started just inviting people to come. So our little group is not fancy. We meet once a week. We rotate homes. We do a potluck meal. We spend time discussing the sermon from our church. We pray for one another. And we're doing life together. And as we started looking and we started inviting, this is the cool thing. Sometimes we invite people to church. And sometimes people can't go from nothing to the invitation to church. But you can invite someone to come have a meal in your home. So we started inviting people as we looked around. Here's somebody that needs community. I'm going to invite this person. You want to come have dinner at our house? We have dinner every Sunday night with some other friends. And people started coming. And the Lord has brought all kinds of people into our community. In our little group that we meet with every week, we have, we have had in the last year and a half four couples, uh, married couples, that are separated. We've had... People that are in all kinds, dealing with addiction, dealing with mental health issues. Kiddos that are going through very difficult times. We're not looking for the perfect people to be in our circle. We're looking for God's people that need an invitation in. And you know, it's amazing to me when the world starts to discover these truths that are in God's word and affirming it. Uh, Those of you that know who Alan Graham is from Community First, Mobile Loaves and Fishes, If you talk to Alan or you're familiar with his work, he will tell you the cure for homelessness is not affordable housing. The cure for homelessness is community. You know, there's amazing new research that the cure for addiction is not sobriety. It's community. AA, if you've ever been to AA or if you've ever been to a meeting, they've knocked on something that's actually God's truth which is when the people of God do life authentically together, we can be something so much more than we can just walking something by ourselves. And so the question that I have for you this morning is, what would it look like for your love to be sincere to one another? What would it look like for you guys to commit to being the people of God together? You know, um, I want to give you two quotes that I just love. Two quotes. One is written uh, by a friend of ours, actually, a guy named Alexander Strauch. 
And uh, let me see if I can find it here. And he has written a great book. Yeah, I'll read you the first one. He's written a great book called Love or Die. Love or Die, and it's about the church. And he says this, We have a tendency to trust in external religious rituals, traditions, denominational distinctions, doctrinal correctness, and moralistic rules, while we overlook the essential foundational elements of love for God and neighbor. And the second one comes from D.L. Moody, and he says this, There's no use in trying to do church work without love. A doctor, a lawyer may do good work without love, but God's work cannot be done without love. So Mark gave you an invitation this morning to sign up for a vine group, right? The vine groups are starting tonight. And I want to challenge and encourage you, if you don't yet have a people, commit this year to being people with one another. Show up in each other's lives. Walk with one another. Honor one another. Pray for one another. Believe God's truth for each other when you can't believe it for yourself. Sharpen one another. Challenge one another. Help each other walk out of sin and into blessing. Get to know God and get to know each other. Be who God invited you to be. And so here's the very simple challenge. The very simple invitation is this. God invites us to love him and love our neighbors. What would it look like in 2018 for you to love the person sitting behind you in church or next to you? And then love the person in the house next to you. And then love the person down the street and in your community until the ends of the earth have been invited in to the amazing life that God has for us. I would love to pray for your church.